All right, Shalom, Southern Israelite here. I wanted to do a, I wanted to do a um, kind of a documentary here of showing uh, the concrete evidence of the voyages of James Cook, what he discovered, what he saw, and really get some concrete documentation on this man's discoveries and how it relates to astronomy and to the uh, flat earth uh, controversy. Uh, this is from uh, the a narrative of the voyages around the world performed by Captain James Cook uh, by uh, Dr. Kippus, uh, Doctorate of Divinity. And he was a biographer of James Cook. And um, the, the, some of the things that he points out here, folks, are just so devastating. The second voyage of James Cook was, was specifically his voyage to discover Antarctica. That's what the whole point of this voyage was, was to discover this, this great continent that he had read existed at the bottom of the world where people walk upside down. And um, this is, yeah, I mean, th this was the attempt of uh, the British Empire to discover this continent, folks. And this man left no stone unturned. Okay, we're going on page number 257. This is around the end of his second voyage. We read beginning here in the second paragraph here. Captain Cook had now made the circuit of the Southern Ocean in a high latitude and traversed it in such a manner as to leave not the least room for the possibility of there being a continent unless near the pole and out of the reach of navigation. By twice visiting the tropical sea, he had not only settled the situation of some old discoveries, but made many new ones, and indeed, even in that part, had left little more to be accomplished. The intention of the voyage had in every respect been fully answered, and the southern hemisphere sufficiently explored. A final end uh, was hereby put to the searching after a southern continent which for nearly two centuries past had occasionally engrossed the attention of some of the maritime powers and had been urged with great ardor by philosophers and geographers in different ages. Okay? And if you look right here above that, that paragraph, at the end of their... They're, they're still seeing ice islands all the way to the end of their voyages. Of, of this of this second voyage all right they're seeing all this these ice islands and all this impenetrable ice structures from the beginning of the voyage when they in, approach the uh, polar circle the Antarctic circle all the way to the end three years of dealing with this okay and that's so important because of what we're going what we're going to see uh, on the on the next few pages here our biographer states, quote, the great purpose of his navigation around the globe being thus completed. Okay, that was the point. He just, the point of this voyage was uh, to discover this, this uh, uh, Antarctic continent in the Southern Hemisphere. The great purpose of his navigation around the globe being thus completed, the captain began to direct his views toward England. 
he had indeed some thoughts of protracting his course a little longer for the sake of revisiting the place where the French discovery is said to be situated. But upon mature deliberation, he determined to lay aside his intention. He considered that if this discovery had really been made, uh, the end would be as fully answered as if it had been done by himself. Okay, and if you look at the very bottom here, he says, from all these considerations, which were evidently the dictates of wisdom and humanity, because he's talking about how cruel this voyage was, how hard and arduous it was because of the weather. It was so cold the whole time. From all these considerations, which were evidently the dictates of wisdom and humanity, Captain Cook was induced to speak no, to spend no longer time in searching for the French discoveries and to steer for the Cape of Good Hope. He determined, however, to direct his course in such a manner as to look for the isles of Dinia and uh, Marcevine, which are laid down in a variation chart, etc. After sailing in the proper latitudes from February 25th, all right, and he ends on March 22nd. This is all over March 22nd. We, we see that on page 260, see? March 22nd, this is where it ends, okay? So just a few weeks from February 25th, um, so, so we, we, him seeing this ice is from the very beginning all the way to up to three weeks um, to the end of his, uh, before the end of his second voyage. So we're talking about, what, like two years and 49 weeks of ice. Take the, I want you to really let that sink in, okay? Because of what he's going to say here. If you, you, you read his, the primary sources, and I, I've spent the last few days reading through the primary source, which is this. This is what Captain James Cook himself wrote, the voyages of Captain James Cook around the world. Okay, volume number three is primarily dealing with his second voyage. It says being the first of the second voyage, right? And if you look at volume four, you read basically the same thing. It's just this ice, ice, ice everywhere. Okay? So what, what, what's he about to say? Remember the great quote we hear all the time on the internet? That it's, he, he traveled 60,000 miles, right? It's hard to find any, any primary source documentation for that. Here it is, folks. I'm on, I'm on page number 260 of um, the biography. Quote, on Wednesday, March 22nd, he anchored in Table Bay where he found several Dutch ships, some French and Saris and English East Indiaman bound directly for England uh, under the command of Captain Nute. By this gentleman, he sent a copy of the preceding part of the journal, some charts and other drawings to the Admiralty. During the circumnavigation of the globe from the period of our commanders leaving the Cape of Good Hope, okay, so we're specifically talking about the second voyage, okay, it's not all three voyages together, this is specifically one voyage. During the circumnavigation of the globe from the period of our commanders leaving the Cape of Good Hope to his return to it again, he had sailed no less than 20,000 leagues. That's 60,000 miles, folks. What is a league? Let's look at the distance here. Okay. The English league is indeed three miles. Okay. League. Okay. A unit. Okay. Yeah. On land, the league was almost commonly defined as three miles. 
though the length of a mile could vary from place to place depending on the era. At sea, a league was three nautical miles. Okay? 6,076 yards. Okay? That's about three miles. Folks, there it is. The second voyage is 60,000 miles of ice. There it is. There it is. Done. That that is that is a nuclear warhead in the at the heliocentric model. Nuclear freaking warhead. All right. Absolutely devastating. Absolutely devastating. Now let's go to but there's some problems for us. Okay? Just because we have utterly destroyed the heliocentric model now. That doesn't mean we're out of the uh, we're out of the hot water, okay? Because we still have some problems. Okay, I'm going to show you. We get into some serious problems. The voyages here it is the primary source: the voyages of Captain James Cook around the world. Seven volumes. This is volume number three. And I'm going to go to um, I'm going to go to page number 231. We start to deal with his approach into the Antarctic Circle and the things that he's seen. This this stuff is just this stuff is so fascinating. Reading through this in the last week, I was just I was like lost in this man's world. Like my imagination was just depicting everything he was seeing. The way he's able to explain things, uh, the, the the way that people spoke in the 1600s, just the way they thought, the complexity and eloquence of their language is so much more advanced. Uh, than what we have now. It's because of, of the influences of liberal philosophies and liberal policies that have really dumbed us down uh, as a people. The, the racial policies, the religious policies, this is the, the effect that these things have had on us is, uh, is absolutely devastating. Um, all right, so if you see here, page 231, chapter number six, root of the ship from New Zealand in search of a continent with an account of the various obstructions met with from the ice and the methods pursued to explore the Southern Pacific Ocean. Okay, so, so this is specifically talking about, um, specifically talking about um, uh, his, his, his um, voyages and explorations into the, what we call the Antarctic Circle, um, on the, <laughs> supposedly the bottom of the earth where everyone's walking around upside down. All right, so we see here, um, okay, he's, he, these, these latitude and longitude points, okay, is a little history here on how these people at this time determine latitude and longitude. It's, it was what's called uh, lunar distance navigation, okay, if you read all throughout, and I, I read all throughout his volumes here on, uh, on, on, the, uh, uh, on the, the second voyage. Um, every time I read him uh, where he was making a calculation on latitude and longitude, it is his uh, observations of the sun and the moon. So uh, this is how they do it, all right? And what happened um, later um, that gets popularized like around the mid to late 1800s, this thing called a um, marine chronometer. Uh, that kind of uh, supersedes the lunar distance navigation. However. That does not mean that the lunar distance navigation was inaccurate from what I've read. Again, I'm not an expert on these issues. I'm not a navigator, just going by what I've read. Uh, if, if there's a, someone out there that 
has more accurate information, I'd, I'd really like to hear it. But from what I'm looking at, um, the lunar navigation was abandoned, not because it was inaccurate, but because uh, of the complexity of it. And um, there was actually a, an, um, a comparison that was done uh, between lunar and um, the chronometer navigations by a man named Captain Joshua Slocum. Uh, this is from the Wikipedia article. Captain Joshua Slocum, making the first solo circumnavigation, 1895 to 1898, somewhat anachronistically used the lunar method along with dead reckoning in, in his navigation. He, he comments in sailing alone around the world on a site taken in the South Pacific. After correcting an error he found in his log tables, the result was surprisingly accurate. I quote, I found from the result of three observations after long wrestling with lunar tables that her longitude agreed within five miles of that by dead reckoning. This was wonderful. Both, however, might be an error, but somehow I felt confident that both were nearly true and that in a few hours more I should see land. And so it happened, for then I made out the island of Nukahiva. And he goes on, um, yeah, it goes on here. All navigators will tell you that from one day to another a ship may lose or gain more than five miles in her sailing account. And again, in the matter of lunars, even expert lunarians are considered as doing clever work when they average within eight miles of the truth. Hmm. The result of these observations naturally tickled my vanity, for I knew it was something to stand on a great ship's deck and with two assistants take lunar observations approximately near the truth. As one of the poorest of American sailors, I was proud of the little achievements along the slope, etc. Then he goes, uh, the work of a lunarian, though seldom practiced in these days of chronometers, is beautifully edifying, and there is nothing in the realm of navigation that lifts one's heart up in more adoration. So uh, clearly, the, the lunar navigation, which is what um, uh, Cook is operating off of from what I saw, um, is not an, an accurate uh, method of navigation. So when we when we plug in these points he's giving us, okay, it is not, it is nowhere near um, lining up with the globe model. It's not even near, I mean, it's all over the place. Um, let's see. Um, Yeah, okay, so he says here on page 232, at 4 o'clock the next morning, being in the latitude of 62 degrees south, longitude 172 west, we saw the first ice island. Okay? So that he's making his approach, and he's seeing the first ice island here. Let's check this out. Yeah, and he's, see, he's saying... He's, uh, later on, he's seeing gray albatrosses, blue petrels, that, that's like an Antarctic bird, pentados and fulmers, ice islands, okay? Could, let, let's, let's see here, 62 south, 172 west. Let's go to Google Earth, 62 south, 172 west. Okay, 62 south, let's plug in 172 west. All right, let's get that coordinate reading. All right, and 
There's supposed to be all these ice islands around here, and no, we don't see much. Not much going on out here. Okay, let's see how far away he is from Antarctica. My goodness, I mean, hundreds of miles even from the Antarctic Circle. All right, so let's take our ruler here, Google Earth, and we'll start our point here and go here. Look at that, 812 miles. 812 miles away from Antarctica and 300, over 300 miles north of the Antarctic Circle, he's seeing ice islands. Really? Really? That's a little bizarre, isn't it? That doesn't, that doesn't seem to fit the map we're being shown here. Let's go to, um, let's go to page 235. 235. Um, I think I remember seeing the thing where he talks about the, talks about the polar circle. Yeah, here it is. At seven o'clock in the evening in the longitude of 147, we came the second time within the Antarctic or polar circle. Okay, so their 147 longitude, what's their latitude? 64 degrees south? Okay, very tempting me to steer. Okay, that's his last reading. So 64 degrees south, 147. 64 south, okay. 64 south, oh, I lost it already in my head. 147. Okay, 64 south, 147, that's where he is, right there, okay, he thinks he's in the Antarctic Circle, he's saying that he's approaching into the Antarctic Circle, when you, when you, when you map it out, no he's not, not even close, let's look at our ruler here, okay, there's his coordinate, and he is 180 something miles north of the Antarctic Circle. Why does he think he's already in the Antarctic Circle? Okay, it's just this, these coordinates are just not mapping out. And I went through this whole section. I went through, I, I plotted out every single latitude and longitude point, and I won't bore you with all that. It's, it does, it's all over the place. And you got some, some of them, some of these readings, you're clearly seeing uh, his movement, um, his movement in this direction around, supposedly around the continent, and it'll go from one day he's here, and the other day he's all the way on the other side of the planet. It's like, this is just bizarre. Like, these coordinates do not work on this globe model. It, it doesn't. It just makes no sense whatsoever. All right, so uh, 241, let's go to page 241. He, he gives you how, how he's making these readings. I've heard, I've seen a number of these atheist boys. They'll say that, oh, Captain Cook was this drunk, uh, foolish uh, sailor, right? Because they don't want to have to deal with what he, I mean, this, th what this man is saying is just absolutely devastating to their entire cosmology. And so they're going to try to like demonize <laughs> Captain Cook and say he was an idiot, didn't know what he was doing. Look, all of his coordinates, folks, there, it wasn't just him making these coordinates. It was one, two, three, four, I'm sorry, one, two, three, four, five people, including himself. 
making these coordinates and look how closely together you know they're making these they're making these calculations they're like all the same right so this man who did like three circumnavigations of the globe they think he's just like this incompetent sailor it like cracks me up these guys are so obstinate all right now what's really in that this is where the problem for us comes in we see on page 238 that it's it's about christmas time okay here it was we spent Christmas Day much in the same manner as we did the preceding one, okay? So here is the time frame where we're supposed to be seeing the so-called midnight sun phenomenon or at least 24-hour daylight, okay? It, you see him, you see he says, here it was we spent Christmas Day much in the same manner as we did the preceding one. We were fortunate in having continual daylight and clear weather interesting continual daylight okay and then on page 245 he says i durst not steer to the south till we had clear weather thus we spent the night or rather that part of 24 hours which answered tonight for we had no darkness but what was occasioned by fogs unquote folks that's pretty strong evidence folks that they, with this this whole idea of there being 24-hour days in certain parts of Antarctica or in certain parts of the year in Antarctica this seems to be very strong evidence for that okay we have to we need to take that seriously and the other thing that this disproves is uh, recently um, I listened to an interview that Patricia Steer Rob Skiba and Mark Sargent had with each other where they were um, trying to establish a conspiracy theory that the government has created fake suns down in Antarctica to show this um, this 24-hour sun or 24-hour daylight. Here we have a man in the 1700s um, bearing witness, bearing testimony to this uh, phenomenon of 24-hour sunlight in um, the Antarctic Circle. This is this is you know that that totally destroys their theory that this is a fake phenomenon that was created by NASA or something. Um, so that that is a, that is a serious issue that we need to think about. Um, seems we have rock solid evidence here that there there are these 24 hours of daylight in Antarctica. That, that, I think that's we can't deny this. This seems to be very strong evidence for this. All right. Um, yeah, so I've gone through that. Now, here is the section, uh, 246 is, is the famous quote you'll see all over the internet. Um, and this is, this is Mr. Cook himself speaking. On the 30th at four o'clock in the morning, we perceived the clouds over the horizon to be unusual snow white brightness, which we knew denounced our approach to field ice. Soon after, it was seen from the top masthead at eight o'clock, and we were close to its edge. It extended east and west far beyond the reach of our sight. In the situation we were in, just the southern half of our horizon was illuminated by the rays of light reflected from the ice to a considerable height. Ninety-seven ice hills were distinctly seen within the field besides those on the outside, many of them very large, looking like a ridge of mountains rising one above another till they were lost in the clouds. The outer or northern edge of this immense field was composed of loose or broken ice closely packed together so that it was not possible for anything to enter it. This was about a mile broad, within which was solid ice and one continued compact body. It was rather low and flat except the hills, but seemed to increase in height as you trace it to the south. 
in which direction it extended beyond our sight. Uh, such mountains of ice as these, I believe, were never seen in the Greenland seas, at least that I ever heard of, so that we cannot draw a comparison between the ice here and there. It must be allowed that these prodigious ice mountains must add such additional weight to the ice fields which enclose them as cannot but make a great difference between the navigating icy sea and that of Greenland. Um, I will not say it was impossible anywhere to get farther to the south, but attempting it would have been very a very dangerous and rash enterprise, and what I believe no man in my situation would have thought of. It was indeed my opinion, as well as the opinion of most on board, that this ice extended quite to the pole or perhaps joined to some land to which it had been fixed from the earliest time. Uh, sometimes you'll see that quote is from creation. It seems to be a misquote. And that it is here, that it is to the south of this parallel where all the ice we find scattered up, yada, yada, yada. Okay? And he's seeing all this ice. You know. Um, he's seeing all these ice structures, not exactly an ice wall necessarily, but uh, impenetrable ice islands and um, uh, just pretty much the whole um, landscape of the area is just riddled with all these ice islands, you know, all the way up until the end of this voyage, as I demonstrated. Um, now, um, right, so, so that I think is the, that's the meat of it right there. Um, Clearly, we see 60,000 miles of mostly ice, uh, as our biographer demonstrated. Um, we see um, how the coordinates that he's giving do not fit on the globe model. And, but we also, we also see um, problems for the traditional flat earth uh, understanding of how the sun operates as well, which we need to, we really need to think about this. This is just, uh, what, what I have demonstrated is absolutely devastating to heliocentrism, but it's, it's also a very intriguing question, this issue of the 24-hour daylight in Antarctica. That's definitely something I want to look into. So um, this is the Southern Israelites signing off. Hope you enjoyed the video. I just wanted to really um, kind of drill these points down where no one can deny them all primary source documentation no one can deny where this is coming from and uh, I, I saw most of the quotations I saw uh, of from Eric Dubay on these issues was from other flat earth books and people just don't care if you just quote a flat earth book they want they want a more objective reference I think I've given it so this is the Southern Israelites signing off devastating um, uh, support for Flat Earth, but also um, some difficulty with this 24-hour daylight in Antarctica. So uh, signing off, Shalom, peace.